Hello, chums. Suppose I should turn that down a little bit, shouldn't I? Welcome to another special episode of the Palace of Glittering Delights, where I yak over an episode of Star Trek, the original series. This one is by any other name. An unusual choice, you might think. Never an episode that gets picked upon as being a, a top ten favourite by anyone, but never one that's at the bottom of the pile either. But it's an episode I love. I think it's really good. A really good, solid episode of the kind that they're not really allowed to make anymore. Everything now has to build into the overall arc or be epoch-making in its own way, whereas this is just a, a solid, fun 50 minutes of television. It's a good story, well told. You come in, you get everything you need from it, and at the end of it you go about your life. So what makes Bionier the... By blah, 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 the name. I've not had a drink, honest. Unusual. Is that there is a, a mid a mid episode pivot, which we'll get to when we get there. Uh, Warren Stevens, though, playing Rojan. Warren Stevens probably best known for Forbidden Planet, where I think he was the doctor. Uh, he looks like he's wearing a very visible her piece. It's not as good a piece of Shatner's, it has to be said. Um... The thing with By Any Other Name that I think the reason it never ends up has perhaps been a classic in the the annals of Star Trek is it is quite silly in places, mostly budgetary. This being a prime example of that. They've just pressed the, the buzz thing that freezes everybody. And so the actors have to stand as still as possible. Which some of them pull off better than others, it has to be said. Um, Shatner's moving quite visibly. Um, whereas D. Kelly seems to have, have genuinely frozen. The the Kelvins, who are the alien race in this particular episode, are interesting. They all seem to have pasty faces. Apart from, obviously, the luscious blonde who, if you assumed that Captain Kirk would be hitting on, you assumed quite correctly um as with all of these commentaries i've gone straight into it so if you want to go back or pause this one or fire up netflix or get your dvds or blu-rays or whatever wherever you watch this i believe in america it's on cbs all action or access whatever it's called it's not all access if everyone can't access it is it um this is obviously the remastered version on netflix you can tell instantly because that opening theme has been significantly jazzed up. I don't remember the um, oh, da, 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 woman being quite as da, 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 e as she uh, is in this in this particular version. D. Kelly, obviously now in the credits because this is a second season episode. Everything's firing on all cylinders by this point in the show's production. Uh, I think this was the point where Gene Roddenberry was off writing a film of some kind that never happened. So Gene Kuhn was in charge. The teleplay for this episode by Dorothy Fontana, based on a story by Jerome Bixby, directed by Mark Daniels. It may show why this is such a, a solid, entertaining episode in and of itself. Fontana and Kuhn, by that point, knew the show, knew the characters. Probably better than Gene Roddenberry. In a lot of ways. The 
updated special effects are, are, are very tastefully handled. It can't do anything about the sets, though, which is, you know, just something you have to kind of buy into. This is a standard Star Trek planet set. It wasn't filmed on location, so it's got the, the purple sky, which looks nice. It's well lit, especially the way it blends into a blue sky, so kind of implying there's some kind of bizarre sunset going on. I don't quite know. Um, I think it was Jerry Furniman was the director of photography on Star Trek at this point. He's doing an excellent job. Now, again, one of the... Um... Sorry, I'm just Googling something at this point. Was I should have done this before. One of the budgetary constraints of this episode means that the entire Enterprise crew are taken over by the Kelvin straight away before uh, anything can happen. And that, you know, that bridge set is still... I love that guy who runs into the, the turbo lift and really runs into the bat wall. <laughs> I mean, the, the other women, the other woman, I suppose I should say, in this episode is beautiful, but she's, you know... She's not Kalinda, played by Barbara Boucher. All of them seem to be wearing Commander Straker-type jumpsuits... From from UFOs, Eddie Pasquet, Lieutenant Leslie. Oh, lieutenants who are blinked though. I don't know if you're supposed to be able to blink. Although Shatner could move his eyes, apparently. Maybe it affects different people differently. Who can say? Uh, the Kelvins basically take over the ship in in seconds, and there's only about five of them. Oh, according to Wikipedia, I don't know if it's true, this was the transition from Gene Kuhn to John Meredith Lucas as show producer. And see, now this one, to me, feels very much like a Gene Kuhn episode. Nice bit of continuity in this episode. The Kelvins are from the other side of the galaxy. And at some point in the show, Kirk says, yes, I know we've been there, when referring to the Great Barrier that surrounds... The galaxy penetrates the galaxy. No, oh, it's a different franchise, isn't it? Um, which is a, obviously a reference to where no man has gone before. Yes, I know. We've been there. There you go. Yeah, as as I expected, Dorothy Fontana rewrote a lot of this episode. She's responsible for making the tone a little bit lighter. Jerome Bixby's original script had Kirk and crew put through a hellish torture, with the crew members being chosen to mate with each other. Both Kuhn and Fontana did a rewrite on it. The dodecahedron gag only came about because Gene had one on his on his desk. Uh, this is one of the mid-second season episodes that does not have George Takei in it. Because Sulu George was off filming, um, was it the Green Berets with John Wayne? Something like that. What's interesting about this episode is the story arc that the Kelvins go on. The Kelvins... Uh, 
Though they start the episode as cold fish, don't they? They start the episode as completely removed from humanity. And over the course of the episode, they learn that they're a little bit more human than perhaps they'd considered. What's also interesting about this one is that there is absolutely no reason whatsoever when they get into space to leave Kirk. They don't need Kirk. They need the other members of the crew. The only reason they keep Kirk around is because William Shatner's the star of the show and he, you know, demanded to be um, central to the action. See, even with even with my my reticence, I suppose, about the, the sets as they look now, 50-odd years later, for the time, that's actually a remarkably good set. It's got a little pond in the middle of it. The grass doesn't look horribly fake. Neither do the plants, although the... Is that right behind Tomar there? Is that, uh, is that one of the spores from The Way to Eden? Not The Way to Eden, The Side of Paradise. I always mix those two titles up. You know, again, it's one of those things that you have to kind of do when you're looking at something like this you have to judge it by the standards of the time rather than by the standards of today and one of the things i've mentioned when talking about the original star trek before is even here in this scene where they're in a cave and it's clearly you know polystyrene rocks and plaster of paris and and all that stuff if you compare it to a show that was on the air at the time say bonanza um star trek looks much much better than Bonanza. As I've said many times before, Bonanza couldn't make the Ponderosa not look like a set. Whereas Star Trek's conjured up an alien planet here and a cave. And it's doing an exceptionally good job with it. The guy playing the security officer, Shay, must have been much too tall for his outfit. I mean, he looks like he's six foot six, easy. Uh, he's got the black band right around his waist, which you normally you saw the the security guards attaching the phasers and communicators to in the very early episodes before they put Velcro on the back of the pants. Um, here it's clearly covering the fact that they couldn't find a red jumper big enough to fit this guy. Uh, but even Kirk's even Kirk's tunic. Is looking a little small in this episode. Shatner has to keep pulling it down. And that is a result of the fact that when they were dry cleaned, they would shrink in the wash. Nimoy's jumper, likewise, is looking a little short. Nice continuity. This is the one episode as well with the most continuity references. In addition to referencing the Great Barrier that surrounds the galaxy from, from where no man has gone before... Kirk just said to Spock on Amenia 7, um, you did such and such a thing with your Vulcan mind gobbledygook. And um, Spock attempts to do the same thing here. Uh, a reference to A Taste of Armageddon. I can't think of many other episodes where there were blatant continuity references, even when the show was crying out for them. I could have done with them, like in Turnabout Intruder, when Kirk is trying to prove that he is Captain Kirk, despite being in the body of Janice Lester through mind transference. There were any number of things he could have said to Spark about, like, Ponfar or whatever to prove that it was Kirk. And he doesn't. He doesn't really say anything outside of that one episode, which, again, 
goes back to the differences in television production today where they drop continuity references at the drop of a hat because they assume at this point that we're watching every single episode. Something they, they didn't assume uh, back in the day. Uh, one of the interesting things, listening to um, Michael Rosenbaum's podcast, his interview with Tom Welling, <coughs> excuse me, was that a regular viewer of a television show at the time Smallville was on the air, was considered to be somebody who watched one episode in every three. So nowadays, where you're expected to watch every episode, you can see why an awful lot of people don't tend to stick around with the binging. Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and the two people in red have broken out of the cell. Guess which two have been picked for termination. Yes, it's the man in red and the woman in red. I remember watching this one as a very, very little little lad. Uh, maybe maybe eight, nine, ten years of age. I can't remember exactly how old I was. Um, and I would have put money on it being the bloke that got killed here. So, when they both get turned into dodecahedrons, that's quite a shock. And look at this, look as well. Look at the people who say William Shatner can't act. His, his anguish here that two members of his crew have been turned into these ridiculous shapes is really well played. And, you know, he's, he's not playing this for laughs. He's playing this that two people have really been turned into these stupid shapes. Look at the way he's rubbing his hair. He's, he's you know, and there's nothing he can do about it. It's an excellent performance from Shatner. He re really is hugely underrated in a lot of this show does he go over the top on occasion yes histrionics yes a lot of that comes from the third season when Roddenberry and Coon and Fontana and that core crew weren't there to keep a rein on him and Shatner is an actor that if you just let him go he will go over the top he needs a director and a producer with a firm hand on him and here, so they've killed, they've crushed one of the dodecahedrons, so this person is dead. And now Rojan demonstrates his power by bringing that one back to life. I would have put money when I was a kid on this being the woman that was brought back to life. And they killed the bloke, and they didn't. In a true example of Star Trek genuinely surprising its audience, it's the black guy who's saved. And the woman who's now dead. And that's, that was really, that was really, ooh. When I was a kid, I, I thought that it killed the man. I thought was, the obvious thing was to kill the bloke. Um, the, the new special effect shots are lovely. There's not really a lot of them in this. Most of them are stock from where Norman has gone before, I think. I don't think they re-rendered any special effects. Just like in the original episode, they just lifted all that footage from where Norman has gone before. This episode essentially did the same thing. Characterization, as ever, between the three leads is exceptional. Um, it doesn't cross that line between McCoy being overly nasty to Spock, which on occasion, like in episodes like the Galileo 7 and the Tholian Web, McCoy crosses over into being quite nasty and borderline subordinate, insubordinate, to what is essentially a superior officer 
And it's quite a surprise to me that McCoy got away with that as much as he did. I mean, he only got away with it because Spot never brought him up on charges. And so far, this is a very, very serious episode. One crew member has been killed. Kirk is now genuinely pissed off about that. And rightly so. You know, he's lost a crew member that, that didn't need to to be killed. Just, just the, the performances between the three of them at this point in the series, he's just so relaxed, so laid back. There doesn't feel like either, any of them have got anything to prove at this point. Shatner's not seen stealing from Kelly and, and Nimoy. Although... His his turnaround though was very dramatic, but Shatner was Shatner was a stage actor. He's used to getting all eyes on him. I love that. I love that Captain Kirk decision making. Is there any chance at all? Well, a small one. We'll take it. Like there's a there's a small chance that it'll work. They're gonna try it. And, I, you know, this is cheesy by today's standards. Not in the acting or, or the performers or anything. But um, that they will fall for something as simple as Spock pretending to be ill. I love, I love his performance here. I do genuinely love how good Shatner is in this episode. But, you know, he's nothing without Nimoy playing the straight man. Oops, sorry, I just hit my microphone. I do apologise. Professionalism. And the problem with the commentary, you can't edit it. Um, you can understand why they, they revamped the uniforms for season three. Because, like I said, these ones are shrinking quite visibly. That's that's a good comedy beat. Spock rather stupidly makes himself relaxed to the point of unconsciousness. Relying on McCoy and Kirk to catch him. Before he falls. I don't know how, how smart that was. I think that was a bit stupid. The music's great. It's actually the Romulan theme. Which they've dusted off. And are using in, in Star Trek Picard. Oh no, updated, modernised version of it. Obviously. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, dun. See, I always think of it as the Merry Universe music because I think I saw that episode with before I saw the Romulan one, which Balance of Terror, because we saw them in all over the place when they were rerun on the BBC as a kid. They weren't shown in any order at all. If you look on the BBC's Genome Project, you can see that um, it was heard all over the place. It's all a con to get them back on the ship. Nurse Chapel gets quite a sizable role in this episode. In fact, they all do. And you've got to wonder if popping off to do the Green Berets was actually a good thing for, for George Takai's career. Because, um, you know, does anyone even remember the Green Berets today? I mean, even on the list of John Wayne movies, I don't think it's it's a it's considered a classic, is it? I don't think I've ever seen the Green Berets. And I've seen a fair share, fair share of, of John Wayne movies, but I've never seen that one. Yet, you know, had he done these episodes of Star Trek, 
Star Trek's easily more fondly remembered today than the Green Berets is. I love DeForest Kelly bullshitting his way through what's going on here. Again, an actor that I don't think gets the credit he deserves. He, again, Kelly can go a little bit over the top when required, but his, his, his delivery of that line there, his selling of that scene, so relaxed, so laid back. Very comfortable in their characters at this point. I always love that Kalinda's in the background, just, you know, nosing around. For me, this is this is peak Trek. In the when I imagine the characters at the the prime, this is how I imagine them. You know, Kurt with the little quiff, not the very very short back and sides that he's got in the early episodes. Spot with the perfectly aligned bowl cut, a little bit further down his forehead again in the early episodes. That's that's further up. Just the the whole look and feel of the show. Is perfect at this point. Oh, take a drink. That's the title of the episode. Rose by any other name. Rose by any other name would smell as sweet. Oh, Shatner did it better than me. Although, you know, professional actor. And I'm not, so... Uh, and now this is this is where the episode pivots. What I mentioned earlier on. Once they get on board the ship, the episode does a, a psycho-esque twist. <coughs> Excuse me. Does a psycho-esque pivot. Or more, more modern day, like Quentin Tarantino pivot in From Dust Till Dawn. Where Psycho starts off as a, a crime noir and becomes a horror film and from Dust Till Dawn starts off as a heist crime caper and becomes a horror film, a vampire movie. This episode starts off, and it's probably the reason it's so memorable to me and why I enjoy it so much. This episode starts off as a drama. It's a very dramatic episode. The ship is taken over by this handful of alien beings. They've killed a crew member. They've turned all the other crew, well, not yet, but they will do, into dodecahedrons to cut down on costs of paying for the crew. And from this point onwards, the show becomes a comedy. And that it pulls it off as well as it does is a testament to not only the durability of, of Star Trek's formula, that it could so easily switch from drama to comedy and back again, that the actors are so capable of going along with it um, a cast that, that have been mocked for their acting ability, quite famously. Damn it, Jim, I'm an actor, not a... Damn it, Jim, I'm a doctor, not a very good actor. I think Clive James once said. Uh, which I think is a little bit unfair. Um, but the fact that they could... This scene here between Jimmy Doohan, Scotty and, and Nimoy Spock drama played straight. And the minute that it turns into a comedy later on, Doohan in his element as he plays the comedic beats. And that is, again, another one of the reasons I think the episode holds up as well as it does. Mm. 
the crew working together, Kirk, Spock and Scotty in this case. It's a good showcase for Mr. Scott this episode. Because not only does he get to show his worth as the chief engineer of the ship, he also gets to play some comedy, which Duan didn't really get to do a lot of. Oh, big twist in the episode. I love that. Scotty and, and Spock have basically rigged the ship to explode. Sorry, I got uh, engrossed in the episode, though, and I watched this one just a couple of days ago in preparation for doing this. And Kirk's reaction. Are you mad? Uh, again, just masterly played by Shatner. There isn't anything, you know, that isn't 100% improved by Evan William Shatner in it. I stand by that. Even TJ Hooker. You know, the show would be intolerable if Shatner was in it. Even with Shatner in it, it's not good, but at least he's he's enjoyable enough, even though he's a, what's his name, a little bit stiff in, in Hooker. One of the things about the BBC ones, I remember that fade to black, though, was never in the episode. For obvious reasons, the BBC doesn't have, doesn't have adverts, because it is uh, funded by the public, not the government, as a lot of people seem to think. It is not government-controlled, it is not government-regulated. Um, the British public pay for the BBC. So they would trim certain episodes. So in this case, they may even trim that entire Captain's Log and come back on with her, because they did that in a number of episodes. There's an episode later on, I think it's the Paradise Syndrome, that has a big recap after it comes back from the commercials. And the BBC obviously lop all that out, because we haven't had the break, the audience doesn't need reminding. Again, uh, the tension in this scene is really well played. The music, even though it's recycled music from other episodes. Nimoy and, and Kelly. Nimoy and Kelly. Nimoy and Doohan. Really selling that this is the time to blow the ship up. And Kirk actually bringing a sweat on. I have no idea how Shatner does that. But Kirk refuses to sacrifice his life to do this. And you know, you can argue a case he was right to do this. Because ultimately it all turns out okay. Because he's Captain Kirk. But, you know, maybe he should have blown the ship up here. He didn't know that what he was going to do next would work. It's all he's got there is that supreme confidence in his own abilities. Perhaps overconfidence, who can say. Um, the new special effects, though, the Enterprise looks a little bit weightless as it spins around. I mean, you know, they're in space. Made it. It's not one of Chekhov's best lines. So are they literally going here where no man has gone before? Because when they went through the barrier last time, the ship was was quite damaged. Now, presumably, they've taken on board that information back at Starfleet and, and added upgrades to the ship so that if they ever did go through that barrier again, they wouldn't suffer the same damage, as clearly indicated in the show. But they limped to Delta Vega in that episode and, and had to be repaired. And then, obviously, Kirk had to fight Gary Mitchell. But here, although Scotty just pays lip service to the fact that the ship has been damaged, there's no actual indication that the ship has been damaged. 
I see that's a nice limitation. One of the things about Voyager was the the food replicators never seemed to run out, so there was no danger of the crew starving. Here, Kelvin, Roger and the Kelvin, is quite clearly saying that, you know, we need to now turn all of the crew into dodecahedrons because the food replicators are synthesizers, as they're called in the original, aren't capable of sustaining themselves for the hundreds of years that this journey will take, so we need them to run at maximum efficiency, so we're turning everyone into dodecahedrons. So those are who are gone, so... Michelle Nichols' paycheck for the episode is earned, even though she didn't really say anything. That was an interesting thing about reading Inside Star Trek. For years, the cast have bitched and moaned and whined about the fact that Shatner would say that line's unnecessary and so on and so forth. But if you read that book, an awful lot of the time, it's Robert Justman, who was the line producer, cutting actors like Michelle Nichols and Jimmy Doohan and George Takai out of the scripts because they could pay a bit part actor less money to sit in Uhura's communications chair than it would cost them to pay Nichelle Nichols, who was a, an above-the-line star on the show, or co-star. So a lot of the times, I don't even think it was Shatner, but I don't know, I wasn't there. So I can't say. That's a good moment. Kirk's seen all the dodecahedrons just lying around in the corridors. Again, he sells the anguish perfectly. At the end of it, one would well, what one thing that's not explained is at the end of it when the Kelvins get to where they want to go. Would they re undecker, dedecker, and hydrize? I don't know if that's a word. The crew and would they come back to life as they were frozen? So are they now all pretty much immortal until they're brought back to life? Which is quite interesting. Kirk has a three D. Ch- oh no. I was just going to say Kirk has a 3D chess set in his quarters, but he's not in his quarters, he's in the dining room. Or the mess hall. I suppose it is. Why is Kirk essential? Okay, I get that they need a, a doctor in case of illness or whatever. I get that they need Spock, he's the science officer and a very intelligent man. I get that they need... Oh, somebody's phoning me halfway through a thing. Hello! The advantage of that is, because it rang on my iPad, it paused the episode. <laughs> so we was able to pause the recording and pick up exactly where we left off. So that shouldn't have affected your viewing pleasure. Um, even though it's, um, it shouldn't have affected the runtime, anyway. Is what I'm saying. Hopefully. You never know. I want to know what they're eating. What those cubes are that they're eating. Those coloured cubes. Because we've seen before in episode that Kirk's like chicken sandwiches. Kirk likes eating proper food. And it was one of the things I did like about Star Trek. Is they didn't eat science fiction-y food. They ate proper stuff. This is where it switches to be a full-on comedy, because Kirk was just understandably pissed off with the crew. Rojan knew what they were planning. He knew they were planning to blow the ship up. McCoy was like, why didn't we do it? Ah, there you go. So they can bring it back. Clever. 
<laughs> Good line from McCoy. Again, DeForest Kelly was, was pretty masterful at the deadpan delivery of the one-liner. I love as well, everyone's eating whatever they're eating. Spot's got a bowl of soup. So presumably it's plumique soup. Certainly vegetable soup, because he's a vegetarian. This is a good piece of script writing. What seemed like a throwaway moment earlier on in the episode where Spock attempted to not mind meld, but certainly take control of a mind to get them out of the prison cell, has now paid dividends for them because that touching of the minds has meant that he is aware of something that they don't know that he knows. And this is the key to the entire episode, that they have been in human form for such a long time that they are now reacting to human food which obviously gives our man the opportunity to come up with a plan yeah you tell him Kirk and now he divvies up his crew <laughs> I love that Scotty instantly goes for the booze, which is, you know, a little bit of a cliche with his character being Scottish, but, you know, whatever. And that he likes a whiskey. Or oh, sorry, and brandy, I suppose, is the case, maybe. And the music changes as well. Star Trek had a number of library musical stings from the dramatic to the comedic. And the musical accompaniment the musical score changes at this point in the episode once it becomes a comedy i'm always impressed by dr mccoy's high paws that don't actually need you to roll up your sleeve <laughs> i'm quite impressed with tomas where he slicked her he looks like a bit of a What's it? I do like that the Saurian Brandy is in exactly the same bottle that it was in in The Enemy Within when Kirk wanted it. So again, third continuity reference alarm, though that one's not as overt. It's just a bottle, I suppose. Kalinda looking slinky. I'm quite impressed with her, her as well as everything else. The, I, I don't know whether this is a wig, because apparently wigs were employed quite a lot on the original Star Trek. Belinda Boucher had beautiful eyes, didn't she? Very lovely powder blue eyes. But the way she's got it all curled up at the top is, is, is very nice. It's a good job. Nice eyelashes as well. I can see why Kirk's doing what he's doing. I'm not entirely sure this isn't sexual harassment. But she's technically not a member of his crew that he's macking on. I love that she's like. It's like when you're when you're a parent and you've got a small child, and they fall over and you kiss the knee because that'll make it better. And it's like he's now trying to convince her that this is going to make her better. And I love that it fails. One of the things that you know Kirk is. And then that that line. You're trying to seduce me, completely undercutting Kirk as ladies' man. Again, something I've banged on about many times before, Kirk's reputation as a rule-breaker and a ladies' man 
is actually quite overrated when you actually watch the shows. <laughs> Shatner's fast. <laughs> that he's been rumbled. <laughs> now he's still like acting like a, a chastised child. <laughs> I know I shouldn't laugh at this because I know it's a bit sexual harassing. But then she gives as good as she gets. So, I don't know. It was made in 19... 19- as I mentioned when I was talking about the sets, this was made 50-odd years ago at this point. 54 years ago. Wow. <laughs> Brilliant. Shatner's comedy chops are underplaying. Which is, again, unusual. Well, it's not that unusual if you actually watch the show. And now Kalinda teaches... Rohan? Is he Rohan the Calvin? I don't know. How to kiss? You must teach me this earth thing called kissing. Meanwhile, back with Toma. I always like seeing the set dressing in the quarters as well. Like Scotty's got a, a knight's helmet. You'd think that'd be more Sulu's domain, seeing as Sulu was the weapons aficionado. But, you know. See, and I love as well about this is Spock's not Spock. Scotty's not replicating any of that alcohol. It's real alcohol. But an interesting psychological case. Well, I do not understand this business of pressing with the lips. Rochance going to Spock to talk about human emotion. You're barking up the wrong tree there, dude. I'd love to be able to play 3D chess to know if the moves that they're making do actually make any sense. Implying that Spock and Rojan have played before. And I love that Spock's playing along with the plan, really planting seeds, but in a, a very subtle way. Yeah, again, you know, it's, it's... You know, I'd like to see what Jerome Bixby's original idea was his original script it's probably online somewhere if i went and hunted for it but there's no denying that in the rewriting of this gene coon and and dorothy fontana certainly made it fit more into the star trek mold into the star trek formula just like they did with city on the edge of forever i mean this isn't as good an episode of city on the edge of forever but it's it's certainly a fun one do, 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 do. Back to Scotty. Jimmy Duran's quite good at acting drunk. This this gag would be repeated in uh, the Next Generation episode Relics. Between Scotty and Data. When Scotty shows up on that show. Oh, Kalinda's changed to her. How delightful. And considering the, the very short amount of screen time that they've got to actually start twisting the knife into the Kelvins. I mean, we're over, like, 30-odd minutes into the episode before Kirk's plan takes shape and they start doing it. See, she's let her hair down a bit. I'm looking very good on it. I think that's one of the reasons original Star Trek appealed to a lot of people as well. Let's be brutally honest. None of the women were um, unpleasant to look at. But anyway, as I was saying before I was distracted by Kalenda, um, you were gone, you were 30 minutes into the episode, into a, a 50 minute episode, before Kirk's plan starts to take shape. So the fact that they've managed to get under the skin so quickly, 
is um should feel forced, it should feel rushed. Uh but doesn't. Mackay doing his bit. Where's the other girl gone? Is nobody doing anything with the other girl? She seems to have been forgotten about in all the uh, in all the excitement. And it must be taking place over a very short period of time. This because I don't know how long Rojan and Tomar. Sorry, I keep mixing up Rojan and Tomar. Tomar and Scotty have been drinking. It, I mean, it certainly looks like it was a fun sesh. <laughs> I love that he keeps his whiskey in his suit of armour. Is he afraid people are going to come and nick it? Why has it not been dusted, Scotty? And where is he going to resupply? That's the thing. Obviously, by the time you get to the next generation, you've got Synthahol. The taste of alcohol. The effects of alcohol. But you can apparently just wave off the effects later, which is tedious. And again, I love it. <laughs> McCoy's just sat in the mess hall playing cards. He's playing like futuristic version of Snap. With himself or patience. I love Mackay here. Mackay's like suddenly struck by Kalinda's beauty, and Spock's like, "We need to go." And Mackay's like, oh, "He gets all the good jobs." <laughs> Very underrated, D. Kelly, wasn't he? This is just such a solid, entertaining episode. I don't think Kurt gets his end away in this one, though, does he? I think, uh... But again, he didn't do that, you know, half as much as people say he did. Ooh. Uh, again, I don't know what, what Barbara Boucher did after this. I mean, certainly some of the other actors that you see in Star Trek went on to significant careers doing other things. Barbara Boucher as Kalinda. Uh, I don't know. She was born into it. Student land, Germany. All oh, right. Okay, fair enough. Doesn't say what she went on to do. 1966 and appeared in Casino Royale with Orson Welles. But uh, a celebrity by starring in B-movies in Rome. That's a shame. I mean, it's a living, I suppose, isn't it? Interesting. Like, is she still alive? That's that's quite interesting. Because obviously, it's it's a sad state of affairs, but quite a lot of the people involved in the original Star Trek are no longer with us. Yeah, yeah, born in 1943. Doesn't say she's dead. So she was only 23 when she did this. No, 67, so you've been 24. Fair enough. Oh, she was in Gangs of New York, apparently. Oh, the amazing things that come up when you're searching through uh, IMDb. All right, fair enough. Back to the episode. Now that we've consulted IMDb in the middle of recording, because that's how professional we are. Starting to get under Rohan's skin. Rojan. No, Rohan was in Lord of the Rings. No. Doing well today. She seemed anxious to speak to him. I love Spock's part in all of this. Kirk's been working on Kalinda 
Spock's working on Rojan. Essentially to the same ends. So, again, another piece of wonderful script writing showing how competent the two of them are as officers. They're both coming at the problem from different angles. But ultimately going to get to the right place or the same place. Kalinda's working on... Kirk Kirk's working on Kalenda, Spock's working on Rohan, he's working on his jealousy, she's working on he's working on developing her feelings. And obviously Kirk doesn't care about Kalinda. I mean he's probably not gonna say no because he's Kirk. Bit of overacting her from Toma when he finally passes out. <laughs> this this may be one of Jimmy Doohan's best episodes. Cause he doesn't overact the drunk. Yes, the, the key to playing drunk, apparently, is to act as if you're not drunk. Because that's what drunk people do. They pretend that they're not drunk. So it's it's you've got to play drunk whilst pretending to not be drunk. So it's quite a hard thing to do. So Spock is actually the first one to succeed. Spock, sorry. Scott is the first one to actually succeed. Although, sadly, the effects of the alcohol take their toll on him. And he passes out in the doorway. I love that the door shuts, even though he's quite clearly still stood on the map that would open the door. I can only assume Dorothy Fontana played a big part in, in writing Kalinda's role, because she's very much a no-nonsense woman. She's very much a, a woman who knows her own mind. Again, Star Trek gets a lot of flack for its portrayal of um, of the sexes. And in some places it is quite sexist by today's standards. But at the time, it was a very progressive show. Oh, and suddenly William Shatner's disappeared to be replaced by not Eddie Pasquet, who I thought was his stunt double, but the other guy. Warren Stevens was clearly not doing his own stunts either. And again, the stuntmen come back. Now, that's the only trouble with this now in super high def, which it is in, you know, on Netflix. Now they've all been cleaned up. It's quite obvious where the stunt doubles take over. And it's always a bit weird as well, because Shatner, there are times when Shatner will do his own stunts and you'll actually see him doing his own stunts. And then there's moments like this where he's clearly not doing his own fight scene for some reason. There must have been a... I love this bit. I'm stimulating him. It's D. Kelly's face that sells that gag. <laughs> Just his face that says, okay, have at it. <laughs> oh, this is such a fun episode, isn't it? Such a great episode. Yes. <laughs> Spock and McCoy are just watching this. <laughs> just with bemused expressions on their face. Clearly, like, letting Kurt get his machismo on. You know, because Spock's like, there are clearly easier ways of handling this, Captain. Kurt's got him in a decent chokehold. Not figured out what Kalinda's doing. Again, she's just stood in the background watching. Women don't get involved in the fighting. At least not in Star Trek. Not in the original Star Trek, anyway. And I love that. That, to me, is Star Trek in a nutshell. After everything they've done, they are still willing to help them. The, the, you know, they've, they've killed a crew member, they've taken command of a vessel, and yet they're still willing to help 
these this alien race and befriend them. Again, you know, there's a lesson to be learned, though. That even 56 years later, 54 years later, after this episode was heard, or 53, whatever, whenever it was heard, I don't know, 67, I think, 67, 68. Either way, the, they're still showing us that the way forward is to, to not, you know, use racist terminology in our speech, but actually acknowledge that despite the mistake, maybe they're still friends. There are world leaders that could learn that lesson. He's most interesting. Oh, I feel a bit sorry for Kirk. He's so close to getting some. But he's not overly concerned. Because, you know. It's interesting looking at these. How many of these episodes provided the um, the rights likenesses for many of the novels. Like that shot of McCoy and Spock. The, the cover of Doctor's Orders by Diane Duane is that shot. The only difference is they've actually sat McCoy in the captain's chair. But it's that frame, it's that still, it's that those facial expressions. This is Roger. Yes, Commander. I'm returning command of the ship to Captain Kirk. You will follow his orders. Sir. I mean, I credit to Rojan that when this is pointed out to him that I'd I'd love to I presume there was a sequel to this. Uh there was a sequel to every episode in the books and the comics. I presume that we did eventually learn what happened to the Kelvins. Uh, I'll have to have a look. I'm sure somewhere there's a sequel to this one. I don't know if I want to see it though. Na, da, 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 da. Anyway, that was that was quite a frivolous commentary that I hope you enjoyed. For quite a frivolous episode, but nevertheless a very very fun episode. One thing I do like. Uh, oh, that's the guy ripping off his makeup. One of the things I do like is they not change the end credits, so the end credits still have the special effect shots from the original. That's Patterns of Force. Should we play that game? We've had him moans for Adonis, I think. Uh, that is I Mud. I always used to do this. That's the Trouble with Tribbles. That's approaching Space Station K7, isn't it? Nice shot of the Enterprise. Uh, trivia, no, I think. And that's the Cobra Mac Maneuver. After that episode, apparently they never made any new shots of the Enterprise. After the Trouble with Tribbles. So. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed that rather impromptu audio commentary on an episode of Star Trek. I enjoyed doing it. I think uh, By Another Name's a great episode. So um, I'll drop this at some point and uh, I'll see you again real soon. Goodbye.